Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. During the workshop, you will hear from our panel of expert speakers. We'll allow time for questions and comments following the presentation. Instructions will be given at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchtone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. I would like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Messner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Well, thank you so much, Glenda, and I too would like to thank, um, welcome everyone actually to this program today. Um, this program is on treatment-related rash and dry skin, and today's program is a collaborative effort between Cancer Care and many other cancer organizations, and it really is because of your interest in the program and the collaboration that we have so many of you on the call today. So there are over 431 participants on the call, and you come from all over the United States, so from urban areas, from rural areas, and suburban areas, as well as we have some international participants from India and the United Kingdom, so it's a bit of a global call as well. Um, today's program is supported by a contribution from Lilly and the Diana Napoli Fund, and I really want to thank them for their support of the program. Now, we have the best speakers today, so I'm going to begin by introducing our first speaker. And our first speaker is Dr. Mario Lacatour. Dr. Lacatour is Director, Oncodermatology Program, Associate Attending Physician, Dermatology Service, Department of Medicine, Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center, and he's also Associate Professor of Dermatology while at Cornell Medical College. And Dr. Lacatour is going to address an overview of treatment-related skin changes, common skin and nail changes related to cancer treatments, practical tips to manage rash, itching, and dry skin, care of nails during cancer treatments, and sun safety tips during and after cancer treatment. It's my pleasure now to turn this program over to, to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Lacatour. Thank you very much, Carolyn, and also I would like to thank all of you on the call today, especially during the summertime when uh, sun exposure is uh, most important and most prevalent among all of us. It is important to realize that the skin is the largest organ in our bodies, and also it is an organ that is constantly changing and growing, and cells in the skin are constantly dividing. Therefore, it is not surprising that treatments against cancer, including systemic treatments like chemotherapies, targeted therapies, or immunotherapies, as well as radiation, can all result in changes in the skin, hair, or nails, as these therapies usually will block rapidly growing cells, which is one of the hallmarks of cancer, but it is also one of the hallmarks of skin cells. Therefore, it is known that up to 60% of people that receive treatments for cancer, systemic treatments, in other words, medications given as tablets or through a vein, can develop some type of skin condition. Hair changes or hair loss is experienced by up to 75% of people receiving systemic therapies. Nail changes or um, uh, changes in the color or the texture of the nails can be seen in about 25% of people. And skin changes, rash or itchy skin, can be present in about a third of people receiving chemotherapy, targeted therapies, or immunotherapies. It is important to realize that these conditions are usually worse at the very be 
beginning of treatments, and they tend to get better as treatment uh, goes on. I would like to start by speaking initially about some of the most common skin changes as a result of chemotherapies or targeted therapies. So with certain types of targeted therapies and chemotherapies, people can develop an acne-like rash that can affect the face, chest, and upper back. This rash usually occurs within the first two to four weeks or the first month, but then tends to improve over time. Another type of skin condition that can occur with many drugs that are being utilized is the so-called hand-foot syndrome, in which the skin of the hands and feet can experience uh, redness, swelling, peeling, cracking, and even pain. This hand-foot syndrome can be aggravated by uh, uh, friction or pressure in the palms and soles, such as by doing exercise, or by uh, walking with uh, hard shoes or with no shoes at all in hard surfaces, as friction can lead to the exacerbation of this hand-foot syndrome. Another of the uh, most common uh, reasons I see patients as a result of their cancer treatments is itching of the skin. And itching can occur as a result, especially from targeted therapies or immunotherapies. Interestingly, many cancer survivors and patients that have itching will say that the itching is worse at night. They will also say that the itching will occur in areas of the body that don't have any visible rash, such as if the itching was coming from inside their bodies. And the problem with this is that many people, many other people may underestimate really the impact that this itching is causing in cancer survivors and patients. Uh, the itching can be relieved with the use of certain uh, medications that we will be going over in a few minutes, but it is very important for you to communicate these symptoms to your uh, oncologist and their team as there are many things that can be done to minimize them. Now, in terms of the nails, there are many agents or many systemic therapies that can affect the nails, but uh, the ones that are associated with the greatest uh, incidence or the highest incidence of nail problems are this, the types of chemotherapies that are widely used in breast cancer, lung, prostate, uh, and head and neck cancers known as the taxanes. Drugs like paclitaxel or docetaxel can cause the swelling of the fingertips and separation or lifting of the nails from the nail beds, and that can be accompanied by pain and limitation of the ability to use your uh, fingers and uh, toes in about 25% of people. In addition to that, in about 25% of people, you can also have secondary infections of the nail beds in which there is, there could be additional pain or some discharge of fluid from under the nails. And then there are also other changes in the nails that are more subtle, such as changes in nail color and changes in the uh, texture of the nails, all of which usually will resolve after therapy has been uh, discontinued with the systemic anti-cancer agent.
And then finally, hair changes. Hair changes are, of course, uh, one of the most well-known uh, side effects uh, affecting the outer parts of our body as a result of cancer treatments. It, uh, hair loss occurs in about 75% of people receiving uh, systemic uh, chemotherapy or chemotherapy through the vein. Uh, we have also found in the past few years as treatments have improved and people have less of those very serious side effects that uh, people that are now doing so well and want to continue their lives are experiencing some degree of hair thinning with drugs that are traditionally not known to cause hair loss. For example, many women that are receiving the so-called endocrine therapies or aromatase inhibitors, such as anastrozole or letrozole, or women that are receiving tamoxifen, are having thinning of hair on the scalp that can be very disturbing to them because it appears uh, over the course of several years, and many women have to be on these drugs for about 10 years. And another problem is that many uh, people, including many physicians, are not aware that this could be a consequence of therapy. Thankfully, there are things that can be done to mitigate all of these uh, issues. So now, how can we prevent any of these side effects? The first thing that is important to keep in mind is that with uh, most of these side effects, including the acneiform rash, the um, the rash that can occur with immunotherapies that looks like a measles-like rash, the hand-foot syndrome, and even hair loss, it appears that people that get the worst side effects are those people in which the drugs are probably working better in terms of attacking those cancer cells that your oncologist is trying to, uh, is trying to eradicate. So at least it brings some comfort to my patients when I see them to tell them that we know that this is difficult. We, do, uh, we, want, we are, will be doing everything possible to minimize or improve upon this side effect. But just so you know that your discomfort or your pain is not going in vain, it is likely that the drug is being more active in your body. So that's an important thing to, uh, or the silver lining to keep in mind. Now, how can we prevent these things? Okay, starting with the acneiform rash that occurs with the targeted therapies, there are antibiotics and topical uh, creams with uh, anti-inflammatory medications that can be prescribed by your oncologists from the very beginning in order to prevent that acneiform rash. In addition to that, for the uh, hand-foot syndrome that can occur with some of the chemotherapies like capecitabine or doxorubicin, or even with some of the new targeted agents like sorafenib, nexavar, or regorafenib, stibarga, your uh, oncologist can prescribe a topical medication, a topical corticosteroid, or a topical moisturizer containing urea that can prevent the severity of this reaction occurring over time. In addition to that, once the hand-foot syndrome has occurred, topical anesthetics like topical lidocaine can be used to minimize the pain. And I like to use this in these lidocaine patches that can be placed over painful areas. And topical, again, anti-inflammatories can be used. And in some cases, oral anti-inflammatories like celecoxib prescribed by your oncologist have shown benefit in clinical studies in reducing the severity of the pain in the hands and feet.
Now, for the itching that can occur with therapies, uh, there are many medications, both topical and oral, that can be tried. In terms of topical medications, uh, topical corticosteroids prescribed by your doctor or topical antihistamines such as doxepin or topical Benadryl can be utilized. But when the itching gets out of hand and impairs a person's ability to function, their ability to sleep, it is important to treat this very seriously and treat this with an oral medication, such as uh, an oral antihistamine or an oral medication that is also used for other neurologic conditions. For example, drugs like pregabalin or gabapentin that go by the names of Lyrica or Neurontin have been found to be very effective for intense itching that can occur as a result of uh, cancer treatments and also have been uh, shown to control some of the most severe itch that occur in people with uh, altered kidney function. So there is uh, rationale to use these drugs, the Lyrica and Neurontin, in people that have severe itching. And then in terms of the uh, nail changes, the nail changes to taxanes can be prevented by cooling the hands and feet with ice during the infusion of the chemotherapy. And there's some recent data showing that it can also minimize uh, neuropathy. So uh, we recommend to patients receiving paclitaxel or docetaxel to cool their hands and feet during the infusions to prevent the nail changes and also to prevent the neuropathy. And then finally, for the hair loss, it is important to realize that there are two FDA-cleared devices to prevent chemotherapy-induced alopecia. And the way this works is that patients apply a cold cap during the infusion of their chemotherapy, and this results in uh, reduced uh, blood flow to the scalp, thereby reducing the effects of the chemotherapy on the hair follicles and preventing up to half of the people that receive chemotherapy from losing their hair. For those people that lose their hair as a result of other treatments, like the endocrine-based therapies or some of the targeted therapies like Tasigna or uh, Gleevec uh, or Sprycel, topical minoxidil, otherwise known as Rogaine, has also shown benefit in improving upon that, uh, hair, uh, that hair loss. And then finally, in the summer months, it's important to protect ourselves against the sun, so minimizing unprotected sun exposure between the hours of 10 a.m. and 4 p.m., using broad-brimmed hats and long sleeve shirts. There are some uh, manufacturers of clothing that include a sun protection factor in their clothing. Or another thing that you can do is you can also uh, use a detergent. There is a detergent that is called RIT SunGuard that you put it in your clothes and it makes your clothes sun protected. And then, of course, using sunscreen with a sun protection factor of at least 30 every two hours or every hour if swimming or sweating, and remembering that to cover your entire body, you need to use about one ounce or 30 uh, cc's in order to cover your entire body. So uh, it's a quite a significant amount that you need to apply and apply it frequently. So in summary, skin conditions are very frequent in people receiving therapies for cancer. In the majority of cases, these can be treated or prevented, 
and in some cases they are an indicator that the treatments are working. And by preventing and treating these skin issues during your treatment, you are able to maintain a improved or a better quality of life and the ability to continuously receive your treatments. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Lakatur. That was incredibly informative and very comprehensive and excellent, really outstanding. And you really set the stage for the whole program. And I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A. Thank you. And our next speaker is Dr. Stuart Fleischman. Dr. Fleischman is former founding director, Cancer Supportive Services, Continuing Cancer Centers of New York, and author, researcher, in oncology. And Dr. Fleischman is going to address the multidisciplinary approach to manage rash, dry skin, and itching, coping with hair changes, hair loss, and changed body image, tips to communicate with your healthcare team about discomfort and pain, key questions to ask your healthcare team about treatment-related skin changes, and quality of life concerns. It's really my great pleasure to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Fleischman. Thank you, Dr. Messner, and thank you, Dr. Lacatur, for a very sophisticated and complete review of the kinds of things that can happen to our, as you said, the biggest organ in our body, uh, which we take for granted, uh, our hair, our skin, um, and our nails. Um, the reason why we're spending so much time talking about um, communication is that this is one of those areas during cancer treatment that often got disregarded. Um, many patients and families over the years would always think, well, I'm getting treatment for a, a life-threatening illness. Why am I worried about acne or why am I worried that my skin is dry? But as we've learned in the multidisciplinary um, action, uh, collaboration that we have um, in our large cancer centers um, and available in most places across the country at, at your local cancer centers, that even a small skin abrasion or uh, an area of dryness or an area of fungus uh, or inflammation where the skin gets broken actually can cause many problems uh, through chemotherapy, radiation therapy, through especially some of the new targeted therapies that can not only affect quality of life, but hinder your ability to take the full doses that you need to, um, to treat your cancer because um, it gets a little complicated when you have to start taking antibiotics um, or, or even postpone some of your uh, cancer treatment because there's a, um, an infection or an inflammation that is, um, that, that is happening at the same time. So it is clearly a multidisciplinary approach. The kind of information you got uh, from Dr. Lacatur, very sophisticated. Um, even the idea that itching, which is something that, again, we minimize and often take for granted, is uh, can be uh, really thought of as a whole body problem rather than just a little problem on the skin and can be managed with a variety of medicines that we use for um, nerve ending pain. I mean, that that's really sophisticated stuff, and, and we need to pay close attention to it. Um, so communication, telling your healthcare to your cancer treatment team about any kind of skin break, itching, rash, inflammation, what you think is just maybe a little bit of athlete's foot or anything that happens in the skin, the nails, and the hair is really important. It can be a window onto the big important things in cancer treatment, which is, you know, are you absorbing the treatment? 
um, uh, is there something else we need to do to correct or prevent the symptom. Coping with this is somewhat difficult because over the years, most people have said, you know, the hair loss uh, is what really gets me because then everybody knows that I have cancer. Well, that's true, uh, but not as true as it used to be, especially um, in in men who, you know, fashion goes in and out, as we all know, but over the last few years, uh, having um, a shaved head or being bald is a cool look. And although it's not for everybody, and certainly a matter of taste, it is much more common um, in the fashion industry and is a stylish uh, statement than actually a cancer statement. And I have heard a number of men say, well, I'm just going to shave my head. I was thinking about doing it anyway. Um, not so easy for everybody, not so easy for many women. Um, and um, it is uh, just the, the most outward emblem that, you're sick, you're being treated, uh, it makes you disclose about the cancer to people who you may not want to. And, and over the years, uh, between um, wigs and hats and scarves and all those kinds of things to uh, offset the loss of hair, um, people have sort of gotten creative, but it is still somewhat of a problem, and everybody acknowledges that. The cool cap that Dr. Locatour mentioned is something you know quite innovative. Um, it's, they've been around for a while, but the FDA approval has been slow coming, but is finally here. Um, it's, uh, it, it is something that can really minimize the um, the amount of chemotherapy getting to the scalp so that the hair loss is minimized. And that's something to think about, ask about, check on the cost, see if it's going to be reimbursed by your insurance or not, if it's available where you get your treatments. But that that is one of the things that is actually a good preventive technique that has not been as widely available to everybody until quite recently. And most uh, chemotherapy centers either have the machine or know how to access it, or you can certainly try your insurance company um, if you have insurance and see if that is something that you can get during your chemotherapy. So the important thing is to tell people, <laughs> tell your healthcare, t your treatment team, um, ask for help uh, from them if they're not sure what to do or they may be minimizing the actual effect. Um, ask them to be re that if you can be referred to a dermatologist who they trust, um, hopefully within your network if you have insurance or in a um, low-cost sliding scale environment if you don't, so you can get the benefit of a professional opinion from a dermatologist on what to do. Frankly speaking, this is sub-sub-specialty work, and some local dermatologists may not be as uh, sophisticated and as um, have, have such wide experience as someone who, like Dr. Locatour, who works in a, um, a rather, you know, rather large, um, famous cancer center. But there are people around who know what to do. The information that Dr. Locatour gave is not secret, not amongst families, patients, in the oncology world, and certainly not in the dermatology world. And with the, there's a simple way to access this information, and anybody can do that. So please speak up. Please uh, tell your team. Uh, and I, I think
knowing that you can do something about it and knowing that potentially this is a, this is a sign that you're absorbing the treatment, that the treatment may be going well, and that some of it is really temporary, some of it occurs worst at the beginning of treatment, I think allows people to kind of move with it through their treat through their treatments and hope that it, it really is the kind of thing that is temporary and happens only at the beginning. Um, as far as key questions to ask, uh, before the question, make the statement. I have some, I, my skin is itchy. Um, I, I have this spot. I don't know what to do about it. My skin is so dry. Um, tell me what to do. And then you can follow all the, the information that Dr. Locator gave already. So those are the most important things when it comes to putting this in perspective as far as really understanding that this is vital to your treatment, needs to be shared with your, um, with your team, and um, have them either act on it. Most, most cancer treatment teams have some experience with these things and can do the first pass. I, I, in general, I always think about this as if it were an infectious disease problem as far as how to manage the referral, that most oncologists will um, not, if, if they think you have an infection, will not send you to an infectious disease specialist right away. They'll make um, a first treatment try. Uh, most of the time that's correct out of experience um, and not need a specialist involved. But if it's something unusual or something that they are not um, that familiar with, then really advocate to have a referral to a dermatologist uh, in your area um, through the cancer treatment team because they know um, who works best with their patients. So I think that's the main uh, message of uh, part of the topic that uh, Dr. Messner asked that I cover. And I'm going to stop here so we can have enough time for questions and answers. Thank you, everybody. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Fleischman. That was really outstanding and just a very, again, comprehensive. And there are going to be lots of questions. So I'm going to, I'm going to say a few words about cancer care, but then we are going to take your questions. So start to prepare your questions. And um, as soon as I'm finished describing cancer care, which should take about two minutes, then we will have questions. So And um, Linda will explain how to queue up for questions. So um, I just want to say a word about cancer care just because some of you might like to access the services and some of you are familiar with our services but some of you may not know about them. So cancer care is a national organization which means we serve the entire country. Um, we actually, uh, most people contact us by, on our helpline at 1-800-813-4673 or they contact our website at www.cancercare.org. And our website is also a wonderful portal for people all over the world to some extent because then I'll say more about that. Um, so many of our services, for example, we do give um, practical and financial assistance and we have a copay foundation and those are for people in the United States. However, our counseling services, people do contact us um, um, with either with, with concerns about just getting some help and counseling or someone to talk to about their concerns about how do I talk to my child about my cancer, how do I talk to my boss, um, how do I think about it myself, um, how do I cope with this, um, those kinds of questions people often do either call us on the telephone or visit our website and, and post a question and one of our trained oncology social workers will contact you and there is no fee for those, appointment, those appointments and those contacts over time. We also do offer telephone support groups 
And we have actually 120 online support groups, which have become very, very popular. And I would say that those are very popular also both in the United States and internationally. So for those of you in other countries who might like to participate, you can go to our website. You can register for those online groups, and then you will be uh, uh, one of our oncology social groups will, of course, get in touch with you, talk with you in depth about the program. These are password-protected, very secure uh, and very, they're all moderated by an oncology social worker, so a trained person is moderating those every day. Um, and what's nice about them is that there is, they're not time sensitive, so they're 24 hours a day. You can post, but and it, there is no, it's not like a, a call that happens in real time. Um, and then we have these workshops, which I think you're already familiar with because you're on this call, um, and many of those. And we have many publications, and of course a website. So with that all being said, we now do have time for questions, and I'm going to ask uh, Glenda to explain to you how to queue up for questions. So we're going to try to take as many of your questions as possible. If we do not get to your question, then what we will do is at the end of the call, I will give you instructions of how to get your questions answered. So, Glenda? Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star then 1 on your touchstone telephone. If your question has been answered and you wish to remove yourself from the queue, you may press the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit questions by clicking Ask a Question. And our first question comes from the line of Emil S. Your line is now open. I suffer from skin cracking at the tips of the fingers in cold weather by the nails. It gets it got worse after I had cancer. How can I alleviate this issue without wearing band-aids on every finger and not moving to a warmer climate? It's difficult to use topical creams during the day, especially when you're trying to keep your hands clean all the time. So, question, Emil, as always, and uh, thank you for being on the call. Um, so, Dr. Lacatour, do you want to start with that one? That's, that is a common question. People have these concerns. Yes, uh, that's. Uh, I agree. A great question, and uh, um, I, uh, I again, I agree with uh, not having to move to a, to a more humid weather because of this issue. Uh, but um, it is indeed a common uh, problem that people have. So our recommendations are uh, as follows. Uh, first is uh, I know that many cancer survivors, of course, um, are more worried about uh, their hands uh, not being clean because of the risk of infection so people tend to wash their hands a lot every day so uh, one of our recommendations is to instead of washing your hands with uh, soap and water every time is to use uh, antibacterial uh, gels or antibacterial um, uh, products that have moisturizers in them. And you can obtain those in the drugstore. And those tend to be less drying than using soap and water. If you do use soap and water, it is recommended to use fragrance-free soaps uh, because the fragrances cause more drying in the skin. Now, in terms of uh, whenever you are absolutely right, using creams during the day is difficult, uh, but uh, if possible, it is recommended to use a moisturizing cream uh, as much as possible, three, four, five times a day if, uh, if that's possible. Uh, the cream should contain an ingredient that makes the skin softer. These cracks in the fingertips are similar to the cracks that will occur in the ground whenever or in a desert when you see the dry sand uh, cracking because of the lack of water. So we need to make the skin softer 
uh, in order for it not, and so it can stretch out more and it doesn't crack. How do we do this? We do this by using moisturizers that contain certain ingredients that are able to soften the skin. And these include salicylic acid or ammonium lactate or urea. So if you look in the bottle, if it contains one of those three ingredients, salicylic acid, ammonium lactate, or urea, those are the moisturizers that are ideally used. And we also recommend when using these moisturizers at night to apply a generous amount in the hands and in the feet if you have cracks in the heels and to cover the hands and feet with gloves, either cotton, socks, or gloves, or in the hands you can even use those uh, nitrile or latex gloves that doctors have in their offices in order for the, for the moisturizer to really soak into the skin. And then finally, because these can be quite painful, during the day, what we recommend is for people to use a skin adhesive to seal these cracks and to help them heal faster. So products like liquid Band-Aids, for example, some people even like to use Crazy Glue to seal these cracks during the day will minimize the pain and will allow for uh, faster healing. Well, that was incredibly helpful. That's very comprehensive. Thank you, Dr. Lacatour. And Dr. Fleischman, do you want to add anything to that, just in terms of just... Yeah. Um, working in a desert city and with the idea that all doctors and nurses need to wash their hands before and after every patient, we're all dealing with the same problem you are. Again, you're, after chemotherapy, this is uh, magnified, but we're all dealing with the same problem. And um, I, I find that the the uh, advice that we just got, which is washing off and using the right products and then creaming with the right creams afterwards, which we know will be washed off in within a few minutes or within an hour is the way to go. I find that staff is, um, who, who deals with dry skin, cracked nails, and hurting fingertips because the skin is so dry are really benefit from this sort of thing. So on a practical basis, I really echo what Dr. Lockator said. Excellent. Thank you. Um, and we have a question from our online participants. Um, so, um, and for Dr. Lacatour, how does cancer, how do cancer treatments such as radiation affect nails? After my seven weeks of radiation, I experienced my fingernails and toenails texture change. Uh, yeah, so uh, radiation usually will only, uh, that's a great question, uh, radiation will only usually affect that area of the body that is targeted by the radiation. In other words, if you have uh, breast cancer or head and neck cancer or cancer somewhere in the genitals, uh, the radiation will cause uh, burns or uh, inflammation of the skin in those particular areas. If you are having changes in your nails, in all of your nails, as a result of receiving radiation, I would, I would uh, suspect that you may have had received total body radiation, uh, something that is uh, uh, utilized prior to uh, some bone marrow transplants, or that perhaps some of the chemotherapy that uh, you may have received prior to the radiation resulted in these delayed changes in the nails the fingernails and the toenails. It is important to keep in mind that it takes about six months to grow a fingernail and a year to a year and a half to grow a toenail. Therefore, any any 
insult or injury to the fingernails and toenails would take us a few months in order for it to be uh, clinically visible. So that's what I would be uh, thinking about is what treatment you received before could be causing that problem in the nails. Awesome. Thank you. And Dr. Fleischman, do you want to add anything? Or? Uh, I think Dr. Locatour really answered everything. I think so. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Um, and we have another question. Um, uh, so this one, uh, Dr. Locatour, does, does tamoxifen affect nails? Yes, this is uh, another great question, and I'm sure Dr. Uh, Fleischman will also add to the uh, impact that uh, uh, and uh, that estrogen uh, inhibition uh, can cause in uh, in patients receiving uh, or survivors receiving these therapies, because it really it's important to remember that estrogen, and I, uh, this is what I what I tell patients every day uh, when I see um, I see many women receiving uh, tamoxifen or aromatase inhibitors, is that estrogen is to women what testosterone is to men. And and uh, it is uh, a hormone that is uh, usually uh, at higher levels, of course, during the earlier uh, parts of our lives. And once that hormone is blocked, either with age, uh, as a result of age, or by drugs like tamoxifen, you will experience some changes that would have probably occurred um, a few or many years later. In other words, when a woman is receiving tamoxifen and the estrogen is not able to uh, be active in their skin, they're going to be experiencing a number of things, including thinning of the hair. Uh, the skin may appear, a little bit of aging of the skin can also be, uh, uh, frequent, be reported, and also the nails can become more thin and brittle as a result of that estrogen inhibition. We are currently doing a study in 500 women receiving treatments for breast cancer to determine what is the true incidence of all of these skin, hair, and nail changes that result from chemotherapy or from drugs like uh, tamoxifen. So yes, there definitely are uh, nail changes as a result of tamoxifen. They are not uh, frequently reported uh, because as Dr. Flashman said before, uh, there were so many other severe side effects in the past that these were not frequently attended to. But now that uh, oncologists have become so good at treating the severe side effects, these other uh, side effects that are more uh, chronic and perhaps uh, less severe uh, are gaining more importance. Awesome. Thank you. And Dr. Fleischman, do you want to add to that as well? Sure. I, I generally go one step further in explaining all this. Um, think about the loss of estrogen in as far as the reverse of the things that happened between age 10 and 13 when you started to get your periods and estrogen began to surge in your body, you got, you know, your muscles got bigger. Even women get bigger muscles in, in early teenage years, not necessarily like weightlifters, but better toned muscles. You get smarter because estrogen bathes the brain in good chemicals that help you do multitask. Um, in, in addition to getting your periods and your skin, your nails, your hair, all seem to get thicker and more luminous 
Um, and exactly the opposite happens when estrogen is blocked. Often, uh, women who use estrogen uh, blockers or hormone blockers uh, or, or other, or other hormonal therapies uh, in menopause, when we give this explanation, say, but I'm already menopausal. Well, even after menopause, there's a little bit of estrogen in men and women from the adrenal glands. And when that is blocked by the hormonal treatments, sometimes that is even more noticeable um, for, for people who had rather sort of, um, I shouldn't say simple, but um, menopausal times that weren't so annoying. Um, and uh, it really is just a function of lacking the hormone that did all these things. And often if you read blogs or websites where people uh, talk about many of these side effects, they will blame the drug. But as the Dr. Lukatur explained, it's really the lack of estrogen and just reversal to, uh, to the time when before estrogen was in your system. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks. Um, and we have another question. Um, and... Um, and this is an, I'll start with Dr. Lakatoranis as well. I'm post-treatment, but still getting itchy, itching sometimes, for which I take um, over-the-counter uh, Benadryl. It was never mentioned to me uh, by a physician. Am I doing something that may be harmful? Uh, yes, so the question is about itching, and itching, even in our dermatology community, is uh, one of those uh, uh, symptoms that is frequently uh, neglected and overlooked, and I think, unfortunately, the reason for that is that uh, it is, uh, un uh, it, it, it is, it is, believe it or not, there is absolutely, there is no drug approved by the FDA to treat itching. Uh, therefore, we uh, I think it's it's understandable how many doctors feel well. Uh, I don't want to focus on this too much because I don't have anything to offer. Uh, but it is a real problem, and um, and uh, it it I think it's going to gain more importance as m drugs are developed to treat it, and as people as this uh, speaker has asked with this very important question, uh, what. Uh, could be done for this. So in terms of uh, treatments for this, uh, topical corticosteroid medications may block those inflammatory cells that are accounting for the itch in the skin. And also, um, if the itching is too diffuse all over the body, I would recommend uh, for uh, you to try one of those uh, medications mentioned before, which include uh, pregabalin or gabapentin, unless there is any contraindications. As to why the itching persisting after treatment, uh, it is important to remember, as Dr. Fleischman mentioned, that when you receive chemotherapies, uh, there are changes that occur in your body that can take months, if not years, to recover, if they recover. And one of those organs that can be susceptible to persistent changes as a result of chemotherapy is the skin. I see many survivors that tell me two, three years later that they feel their skin has never been the same. Uh, and um, again, it's easy to understand because uh, the reason oncologists will give patients with some of the early stage, uh, uh, patients with early stage uh, cancers is because they want to make sure they destroy any tiny little cell 
that may be remaining after the initial surgery. And by destroying those tiny little cells, they are also destroying uh, some of those tiny little skin cells that are kind of like the mother cells to the skin. So it is not unreasonable to see how you can have persistent effects uh, but the point is that the treatment was necessary. Uh, I hope uh, that uh, you are doing very well now after your treatment. And uh, the important thing is to treat this. So using frequent moisturizers to maintain the barrier of the skin, ideally containing the ingredients mentioned before, such as salicylic acid or ammonium lactate, avoiding fragrance-free perfume, uh, fragrance-free uh, soaps and detergents, and also using medications against the itch will hopefully allow you to uh, continue to uh, live uh, a great life without being affected by this um, uh, this uh, problem. And that question, do you have to add in here? Yeah, amazing question. It's like somebody was standing on my shoulder last week when I was seeing patients. I saw a patient who had been in chemotherapy two years before who also had residual itching and was taking over-the-counter diphenhydramine or Benadryl, a standard, one of the initial um, antihistamines available widely without prescription. But antihistamines themselves, especially in my experience, Benadryl can be quite drying. And if the itching is, is really from drying, taking a medicine that dries you out even more seems maybe to not take it away or even be perpetuating it. So we spoke about the things that Dr. Locator said as far as what to do with the skin and then changing uh, to different medicines, particularly some of the newer antihistamines that, may, that say non-drowsy because it, it generally runs in tandem that um, uh, antihistamines or medicines that make you drowsy often make your tissues dry. Um, so this is, so, this is one of those situations that's really uh, very uh, common in medicine where um, everybody, reasonably so, tries over-the-counter things or things that are, are available without prescriptions because it seems logical but sometimes can backfire and needs uh, a, a attention uh, from, um, from somebody with a little more experience. Awesome. Thank you. And we have another online question. Um, and um, I'm going to start with Dr. Lakatour, but I know Dr. Fleischer will want to discuss this one as well. Is there anything I can do to minimize the appearance of the rashes? I am very self-conscious about it. Uh, yes, great question. How to minimize the appearance of the rashes? Uh, usually, when a rash occurs, we try to divide them into two major types. There is either the acneiform rash that, as the name implies, looks like acne uh, and affects the face, chest, and upper body, or there is the morbilliform rash that looks like measles, and it's more like uh, flat or, or raised uh, red bumps in the chest or, or, or abdomen and, and back, and then it spreads towards the arm, arms. So the first thing, uh, the most important thing, is to actually treat the rash, and that will usually require either oral antibiotics, oral antibiotic tablets or pills, and or topical corticosteroid uh, creams or sprays or any formulation of topical steroids applied onto the skin. Once that uh, treatment has been instituted, 
then uh, or even along those the, during that time, uh, concealing the rash can be done. And the way the best way to do this is there are these very very good foundations, or uh, that there there are these. Um, products that you can obtain in in cosmetics uh, stores, uh, they go by the names of Cover FX and Dermablend. These products have been specifically designed for both men and women to conceal areas of their skin that they uh, perhaps do not want to show to other people. So people that have other conditions that are not even cancer-related, like vitiligo, which are these areas of the skin that lose their color, or unsightly scars, or um, the discolored areas in the skin that people want to conceal, they, when when you go to the store and ask for Cover FX or Dermablend, there are dozens of different skin tones that they will specifically match to the tone of your skin. And by applying this to your skin, both men and women can conceal and hide these um, rashes that can affect a person's sense of self and their ability to interact socially in some cases and to feel more confident and go about their lives with their families at work or in doing their hobbies. Excellent. And Dr. Fleischman, do you want to add anything? Yeah, there's a bless North American television and our direct um, marketing efforts from the drug companies to consumers because there's this commercial that's been out maybe a year or so for a product for uh, eczema or psoriasis. And it's a young woman who uh, has a visible rash, uh, and not cancer-related, but the, sort of the, the phenomenon's the same. And um, she avoids doing the things that she likes, going out with her friends, doing things that are fun. And when her friends, who, who see by the expression on her face that she's suffering, uh, asks her about it, and she says, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine, and the point of the commercial is that it's not fine. Well, this is a different situation. This is not a matter of a primarily a skin problem. This is a secondary problem from cancer and cancer treatment, but it's not fine, and the kinds of things that we're talking about are uh, really getting an answer and then um, trying to prevent it, trying to treat it, and then if not, having something that is uh, commonly used after cancer treatment as a cover-up so it doesn't have to affect your life as much. And can you comment just about people's sense of self or their self-image, how these things, because they're visible, um, can impact how one projects oneself or feels about oneself um, in a public situation or with friends and family. Sure, it's kind of like the hair loss issue when it's a visible emblem of not being well or being treated for cancer that many people may not want to advertise to everybody. And it affects how how you feel about yourself and your confidence, especially um, not just social things, but at work, at school, um, going for a job interview, um, those sorts of things. So, you know, if things can be prevented, treated, or masked, I, I do think that it really allows you to engage in the regular activities of life and the kinds of things that give you pleasure and are for sustenance, like going to work um, or going to school, so that you do feel better about yourself and you don't feel as inhibited. And that's such an important point. I think a lot of people find that um, 
I think all the things that have been said so far, and some, some people actually find that it's helpful to either join a support group or talk with someone about just how they feel and um, you know and the things that they're trying to do, so that they can actually feel that's kind of normalizing one's life, and 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 um, and so that isn't always such an easy thing to do for people, and so we want to recognize that some people really like to be, I know that many people in the support groups that we have here or the counseling sessions, a lot of the, the comments are about how one feels about oneself and, and just how one does put that best foot forward, how does one move on with one's life um, and with all those different domains of area, personal life, um, work, family, friends, you know, all those things. Um, so I think that that's really um, important. And we do have a question actually for Dr. Lacatour that just came in. It was um, if you would mention, you had mentioned the right sun guard, but if you could spell it because people are really interested in that and getting that product but don't know how to, what it is or how to get it or how to use it. <laughs> so if you could comment. <laughs> yeah, yes. Uh, so, the, uh, so sun protective clothing, first of all, there are several brands that have uh, uh, sun protective uh, uh, ingredients in them. Um, they go by Cooley Bar or um, there are many other brands, but Cooley Bar is probably one of the most well-known. In terms of the detergent to add to your clothes, it, uh, the name is RIT SunGuard, R-I-T SunGuard. And if you Google that, you will find that you can find it at many stores, including Walmart or Amazon. And uh, a container uh, is about $7 that would wash several uh, or more loads of laundry, and the protection will last for up to eight washes, so you could say almost the entire summer, uh, and uh, it gives you enough of a sun protection factor uh, that um, those areas of the body don't need to be continuously uh, covered in sunscreen. And the other product that you mentioned, because um, we're actually on the evaluations, we give people all the resources that were mentioned during the program. So the other one is spelled Cooley Bar. How is that? What is um, Oh, Cooley Bar, yes. Uh, C-O-O-L-I-B-A-R. Uh, but I know that other um, companies like Land's End, L-A-N-D-S, E-N-D, has also products, or clothing rather, that um, has sun protection in it. So that's something I recommend, especially to people that um, do not like to apply uh, the sunscreen, people that are outdoors for long periods of time. Uh, in Australia, where they have uh, sun protection is a major um, health uh, policy now because of the high risk of skin cancer there, uh, People use these things all the time, and there, there's even uh, uh, shirts uh, and shorts that people use that have sun protection that they can even go in the water with the, with the shirts on, and they can swim, and they're very comfortable, and, um, and they, use, they use those as well. So, um, so yeah, so you, if you just Google a, a Coolie Bar, you may find it, and um, Land's End is another uh, company that has them. You don't have to buy an entire wardrobe for them. I would just get, a, like, one or two uh, 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 shirts, uh, long-sleeved, and that should be enough for whatever you like to do. That's perfect. And here, um, so we'll put that in the, when you all get your evaluations, um, we'll put in all the resources that were mentioned during the program as well. Um, and another question here um, for Dr. Lakatur and, of course, Dr. Fleischman as well. Do the rash and dry skin problems ever go away? Do the, can you repeat that, that question, oh, please? Oh, I'm sorry. Caroline? Do the rash and dry skin problems ever go away? 
Yes, that's a great question, and that is precisely the reason we are doing this study, following those 500 women during their treatment for uh, for breast cancer, because we want to determine the true incidence of how many of these survivors have lingering problems after their treatment. Uh, I would uh, I would say that uh, the great majority. Uh, of women, uh, let's um, let's because that's the most well-studied group is women with breast cancer, early-stage breast cancer, because they get uh, chemotherapy, they get radiation, and they get surgery, um, and uh, they, 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 the the uh, the their follow-up is is long. So, in up to 80% of women. They that have been studied, the hair will go back to normal after chemotherapy. So that which means that in less than 20%, people will not fully grow the hair as it was before. It may be a little bit thinner, or it may be a little bit uh, not as uh, thick, not as full, and not with the same texture. In terms of the skin, it appears that less than 5% may have a little bit more of an aged appearance. And uh, dry skin is also appears to be greater, but uh, in a very small number of uh, survivors, less than 20% perhaps. And changes in the nails may persist for up to two years in about two-thirds of people. So uh, follow-up has not been for five to ten years, but at least one year after therapy, there are many changes that will persist. Thankfully, in most people, probably between 80 to 90% of people, the skin, hair, and nails will go back to normal after one to two years of completing treatment. And Mike, you and Dr. Fleischman, do you want to add to that? Or? Yeah, two points to make. Uh, I agree with everything that's said. The thing that we sometimes forget, especially when we're looking at treatments that last a year or two and then recovery for a year or two, uh, or hormonal treatments that can push out to 10 years, we are 10 years older when we finish. <laughs> and normally our skin, hair, and nails uh, change as we age. And those are going to happen anyway. Uh, we could, uh, it's an interesting scientific question if it's, if it's um, hastened by the treatments or by cancer. Well, we, I'm not sure we have that explanation yet, but we are getting older as these things happen. We need to keep that in mind. Second thing is that uh, we've done a number of these uh, Cancer Care Connect teleconferences for years, and this is the first call I ever remember where we gave fashion advice on a call, <laughs> and it's pretty amazing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Actually, there's another one. We although we did it on another one. There's a there's another question from the, on one of our online participants. Participants. It's similar to one that we called. It was occurring before, but it says, um, "Can I use cosmetics to cover up rashes caused by anti-cancer medications?" The other question was, um, "Is there anything I can do to minimize the appearance of rashes?" So here's one about use of cosmetics. Um, so, Dr. Lacontour, do you want to address that? But that's a good point, Dr. Fleischman. We haven't usually done that, yet it's important. Like. <laughs> So. Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, to minimize the occurrence of rashes, I would go back to what Dr. Fleischman said before, and it's always to ask. And ask your oncologist because there are different types of rashes depending on the drug. And you, and if you feel your oncologist is always looking for more and more ways to help you, uh, but it's always uh, okay to look uh, and, and to ask the oncologist, their nurses, and 
uh, all of their wonderful teams that really are working uh, so hard to improve your lives. Uh, and they can prescribe medications for this. With uh, drugs that cause rash uh, in more than 80% of people, there are things you can do to prevent rashes. You can take oral antibiotics and use those topical corticosteroids to prevent them. And when the rash is unpredictable or is less frequent, usually we do not do anything to prevent it other than gentle skin care recommendations, such as avoiding unprotected sun exposure, using fragrance-free detergents and soaps. But again, as Dr. Fleischman mentioned before, the, the most important thing, as soon as you feel something coming up, a rash appearing or a sensitivity in your skin, itching, notify your oncologist because if they are able to know and they treat it early on, there are those are the best chances for that rash not to get worse and to uh, affect your uh, life and also affect your ability to receive your treatment. So, Prevention can be done in some cases, but early treatment is almost as good, and you achieve that by informing your oncologist. Oh, excellent. Well, and Dr. Fleischman, do you want to add anything? Well said. Well said. <laughs> really well said. This has been an extraordinary call, and I think, and I, and it's an interesting point that we there are different questions on this program that have come up in the past, and I assume those questions will continue to come up because as people move on with their experience with cancer and and with their expectations of life, these are questions that are important to keep asking and, and creating new ones as well. So I want to thank our physicians, our speakers. They've been outstanding, a really amazing um, team. And I want to thank all of you who've asked such really great questions online and um, as well on the telephone. And um, I did say that if we didn't get your question, because there are some more people in queue, that I want to address that. So if you still have some medical questions, of course your healthcare team, as I think the speakers have said repeatedly, your healthcare team is, of course, your best go-to resource because they know you the best, and they know all everything that you're taking and have taken in the past. But I know some of you like to go to credible places to get information. So I always recommend the National Cancer Institute. Um, they have a, uh, a phone number, an 800 number, 1-800-422-6237. And then also they do have a lovely website, www.cancer.gov. And that website is particularly terrific because they have a live chat feature. So for people in the U.S. and internationally, you can post your question, and one of the information specialists will really search it out in their databases and try to get you as much information as possible. Um, and I also certainly do recommend the American Cancer Society as well. They have a 24-hour call center, and they also have a wonderful website. Um, and so I would definitely recommend, and you'll be getting that, those resource information as well. And um, for those of you who would like to actually uh, might be wanting to use some of the, the support services of cancer care, you would simply call us or, or visit our website, and we would be happy to provide those services to you. And most importantly, as we conclude the program today, I would not want any one of you to feel you're alone in dealing with these issues that we've talked about today or any issues related to your cancer experience. You know, there are so many resources out there for you. You may often feel there aren't any, and I know that sometimes in the middle of the night or weekend or all different times of the day you may have these feelings, but I need you to know as we conclude the call that there are resources, many, many resources out there that are free that are there to help you, as well as your healthcare team, who would definitely want to hear from you if you have some concerns as well. So again, I want to thank you all for your participation today, and I want to wish you a very fine day. And with the information you have as well from this program today, that you'll be able to enjoy the 
I believe we've got to get warmer weather in different parts of the country, of course, in different parts of the world, and indeed um, that you'll be able to know about um, taking care of your skin also in that very warm weather as well. So thank you all, and I wish you all a very fine day. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop, and you may now disconnect. Everyone have a great day.